Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and you're listening to The Bay local news to keep you rooted. Today, we're thinking about the family of Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man who was shot and killed by a police officer near Minneapolis on Sunday. And we're thinking about how no family could ever truly prepare for the pain of losing a loved one to police violence. So today, we want to bring back a conversation we had in September of 2020, when we spoke to Cephas Johnson, a.k.a. Uncle Bobby X, who, before becoming the people's uncle, was the uncle of Oscar Grant. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi there, I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The night before Oscar was murdered, on that night, at about 1240, uh, Oscar was really on my spirit. And I couldn't understand why. And I texted him and I said, Uncle, love you. God loves you. God loves your family. Hour and a half later, he was murdered. So when I saw that video, I can remember collapsing in, in extreme anger and rage and just hurt. And... As I began to come back to my senses, you know, to make some sense of what happened, I can remember being blessed to have text Oscar to let him know that Uncle loved him. 
and that God loved him, God loved his family. And it was from there that I realized that there was much more of, of uh, work that I had to do than to just be angry. And so it was from there where I knew that I had to do something constructive rather than destructive. I am affectionately known to the community as Uncle Bobby X. I am the uncle of Oscar Grant. Uh, as many should know, the young man killed at the Fruitvale Bark Station on January 1st, 2009 in Oakland, California. There have been protests around the country, including here in the Bay Area, since the death of George Floyd at the end of May. And some of them you've been to. Did those protests feel different to you from other protests that you've been to over the years? And maybe even more specifically, like how have they felt different from protests after Oscar was killed? They, they felt more intense. Um, as we know, when Oscar was murdered, uh, 19 days later, Obama was inaugurated. Ladies and gentlemen. The president-elect of the United States, Barack H. Obama. And so the world really turned an eye to a black man being the president of the United States. And so many people was filled with joy. Some was filled with awe. And the others just couldn't believe it. It's been said by everybody, but it just, I guess, one more person's got to repeat it. It is uh, our secular version of a miracle that this country has, has come this far and that this man has achieved so much. But the fact was, was that the murder of young men in the United States during the Obama era really um, wasn't as insightful or as intense as it is now. I'm not saying that what happened with Oscar wasn't uh, noticeable. You know, it was on CNN. Uh, many got to see, but people were still drunk with joy. You know, because we got a black president for the first time in this country. When Barack Obama was sworn in as the nation's first black president, some hoped he would usher in a new post-racial era in America. After all, having a and many even wanted to believe that the idea of racism um, had finally left the United States. <laughs> when in era, when in essence, we know it hadn't. Matter of fact, it became much more prevalent. Over the years, Uncle Bobby has spent a lot of time putting pressure on those in power, whether it's trying to get justice for his nephew, Oscar, or for other families who've lost loved ones to police violence. He's also pushed for new laws to change the way California does policing. But in the beginning, it wasn't easy. What was it like to push for changes and talking to local and state politicians so soon after like such a painful experience? Uh, it was it was a very interesting journey back then because I had no clue on how the you know our representative work think act their motives and their sincerity and so when we pushed for the independent auditor with the citizen oversight when it initially was started it had many more teeth in it but as it went through the process of <laughs> becoming law. Uh, legislators right in front of my face was plucking out teeth. And I was totally unclear on how that process worked. Uh, you know, I, I'm totally clear today that not all legislators are bringing forth legislation that really is from their heart. I 
I want to ask you more specifically about your own work and your your activism. I read somewhere that you consider ending police brutality and supporting the families of those who've suffered at the hands of police as your life's work. And I also know that there are so many families who are really just kind of thrust into this as their life's work out of necessity or out of even an urgency for justice. And I'm curious if that was the case for you. Like, did you feel thrust into this life's work? I did. I mean, the murder of my nephew caught us completely by surprise. Not only did it catch us by surprise, but then we was able to witness it. Witnessing your loved one being murdered is one of the most horrific experiences that anyone can ever experience. I think perhaps because it could have been prevented. And it changes many of us who have been impacted that way, life. So it became our mission to embrace every possible family that we could. And so we've really put a lot of effort in to make sure that this embrace is done because we call it healing through resistance. See, the community of Oakland, I have to say this, embraced us as a family. They stood with us. They cried with us. They went back and forth to court with us. I think most importantly, though, they utilized their First Amendment right to say, I am Oscar Grant, and that they wanted justice for Oscar Grant. Because they realized that Oscar could have been their loved one, you know, their uncle, their father, their brother, their son, you know, their child. And because of that, it gave us some form of balance. And as it gave us some form of balance, it also gave us strength to be able to open our own mouths to be able to speak on behalf of Oscar. And so we try to take that same type of love, that same type of embrace to that family to let them know that we understand this pain. And we we go and we share that message in hopes that we can make sure that this family understands the terrain that they're getting ready to journey what kind of blockages are in front of justices that you're searching for, you know, and and to keep their spirit up. I remember actually seeing you at an event that Willie McCoy's family threw in Oakland in his honor um, last year. And Willie McCoy, for those who don't know, was a 20-year-old who was shot and killed by Vallejo police last year while he was asleep in his car. And you were there as, I believe, a guest speaker and I remember just your presence was very symbolic and also very powerful because it just felt like people were really looking to you for your wisdom. And I imagine that no one really ever prepares for a life of activism, right, as a result of losing someone to police violence and that some guidance is needed. And when you meet those families, what do you tell them about how to prepare for the path forward? It's not like it's a cookie cutter. It's different for every family because you know some families are high profile then there's other families that are unknown and they don't have the publicity you know their loved one name isn't being shouted out by everybody when they meet the oscar grant family or uncle bobby you know they are really um extremely appreciative you know tears come to their eyes and we don't put our case any higher than any others you know because The loss of a loved one is the same felt by any family. People had a tendency to think that, um, you know, what happened to Oscar was on such a high plateau that the 
to be able to come and visit them and their stress and their struggle and their trouble was like, you know, very, very um, touching. To give an example, uh, Johannes Mesley was found guilty on July 8th. He, this, the sentencing took place on November 5th. Uh, and so we left L.A. As soon as we got home, two days later, Derrick Jones was shot. Derrick Jones was a barber in East Oakland off of, I believe it was Bancroft, where he was shot. And I, I remember that was really like the first family that I embraced since our struggle with Oscar going back and forth to court. And when I embraced the father and the mother, I can remember the father tearing up. I understood how important it was that our presence to be there to support families, but not just our presence, but the families that we embrace, that we impact, also finds how important it is when they embrace a family. So it's, it's, it's what we do. You know, we all embrace each other as much as we can. And the, and the struggle is not just my struggle, but it's all of our struggle that's been impacted. Yeah. I'm curious what questions those families usually have for you um, as they look to you for your expertise. You know, some families like uh, might ask, I'm trying to get the autopsy report. What is the process? You know, uh, you know, some families don't even know the difference between a criminal trial and a civil trial until they're in that arena. So we educate in that respect. Uh, we, we make it clear that the wheels of justice turn slow. Uh, historically, California is not known to find an officer wrong for killing your loved one. Most of them come back justifiable homicide. You know, we have to break that type of news because we have to also have the family understand that the system by design has protected police officers for years on top of years. So it may not happen tomorrow, but it can happen as long as we stay unified and we speak together and we understand that this process is going to take some work. Oscar's death was the first one that went viral after being captured on cell phone video. And these days, it's so much more common to see recordings of people being killed by the police. It's also one reason why there's more public outrage about police violence now. And Uncle Bobby thinks that right now, America is having more than just a moment. Systemic police violence has been around for quite some time. You know, like the Sean Bell incidents, uh, the Amadou Diallo incidents in New York, of course, the Rodney King incident. And those happened and then eventually faded, right? Well, with the Oscar Grant movement that took place, that movement has still been moving forward. Though it is not, I am Oscar Grant, but it became, I am Derrick Jones. It eventually became, I am Rakeem. Brown, I am Alan Bluefoot, you know, I am Stephen Taylor. That same echo is still being echoing, you know, and that same momentum that was in the Oscar Grant movement has evolved into a bigger movement, evolved into a bigger movement, and evolved into a, even a bigger national movement. You know, many of the activists and organizations in California and the Bay Area uh, went out to Ferguson, went out to Freddie Gray, went out to Chicago, Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know, Seattle, where these murders were taking place, and began to help set up political educational aspect of training for the community when it came to police violence. So uh, 
these seeds were planted all over this country. And then the, uh, the opposite side of that, too, is that we have um, militant groups that are representing keeping America the way it is, supporting the police, creating their own movement. So now we got two movements happening at the same time. And of course, Black Lives Matter movement will not die down or police violence movement, which is entailed in the Black Lives Matter movement, will not die down as long as the police movement is building up. So this is not a moment. It can't be a moment, you know, because never will a, a, a movement such as one seeking justice will allow one that don't want justice to win. That can't happen. And today, there are so many young folks in particular who are organizing and rallying around the issue of police brutality. What advice do you have for the young people who are now leading this fight? To make this world a better place, because it's always, always, always about the children. And since the murder of Oscar, you know, when we begin to speak at college level, students, to high school students, to even middle school students, and eventually even to some elementary school students that put on different skits for us to understand that they understand what social justice means. Those same children has grown to either be in college or have already received their degrees. So it's, it's always powerful to meet young people that has said, Uncle Bobby, I can remember when you came to my middle school and you spoke. Uh, that, it, that impacted me so much that I went on to Howard and I got my degree in psychology. I'm, I'm working on my law degree now. These young people are where the change is going to come through because they have really taken on the idea that social justice is much more important than just getting an engineering degree. You know what I'm saying? Or just just ascribing or ascribing to get all this money so they can halfway ascribe to whiteness to forget about the social ills of the society. You know, it's not about me today. It's not about us today, but it's about the children that are coming behind us today. Because if we think it's bad now and we fail to stand today, what kind of life will they have tomorrow? Their demise would be our responsibility. So we must put the work in. And as, you, as you're just talking about young folks and, and it being about the children, I just can't help but remember um, what a witness said after Oscar was, was shot was you know, he said he had a four-year-old daughter, um, and that's Tatiana Grant, and I just can't help but ask, how is she doing now? Tatiana's doing, you know, she has her ups and downs. You know, she, of course, you know, the loss of her father, who she really loved, has impacted her life. She's still smiling. You know, there's moments when she miss her dad, you know, and she has her ups and downs. You know, I, I, I'll say it like that because, you know, we want every child of, to, to have all the love that they want, you know, all the understanding of how this society works. And yet she lost her daddy in a way that has impacted her when it comes to police. Uh, even when she was a child, she would see the police. She would tell her other little friends to duck the police. You know, so this is an unconscious fear that that can trouble a child's life 
uh, if not dealt with correctly, you know. So we do the best that we can to help bring her, you know, to a state of understanding. Uh, but yet there's still always going to be challenges, you know, from a child losing their father. Just one last question for you, Uncle Bobby. It's been more than 10 years since Oscar was killed, and I just wanted to ask a little bit about him. What do you remember about Oscar right now? His smile. I mean, Oscar had this smile that was just infectious, you know. Uh, He was a very intelligent young man. His mama wanted my sister, my baby sister at that, is a minister, so she would always take Oscar to church with her. And so he would um, eventually open up the church in prayer with two, 3,000 people at the church. He was a, a young man that didn't have the fear of speaking in front of people. You know, more like how he was on that platform when he told everybody, all his friends, everybody calm down, he was doing this push, you know, letting them know, we're gonna be all right, we're gonna go home. And then officer, I like to speak to the supervisor. And yet he was the peacemaker on that platform and he was the one yet that was killed. He, you know, loved to play chess. You know, uh, he was determined to beat his uncle. You know, so we played many a games. You know, what really is, is interesting, when I got married, him and my son was like, who wanted to hold the ring, right? He wanted to hold the ring, my son wanted to hold the ring. It was crazy, I was like, man. But, you know, that was Oscar. You know, Oscar will be remembered. That iconic picture, you know, with that little smile that he got on that picture, it's just a small piece of who he really was as a person. Thanks again to Cephas Johnson, also known as Uncle Bobby, for speaking with us. This episode first ran in September of 2020 and was produced by Shannon Lynn and Alan Montecilio. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Devin will be back on Friday. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. 
Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.